0: Hello, and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 283, recorded May 10th, and I am Brian Akin. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Tanya Sims. Well, welcome, Tanya. Since we're just meeting also, and some of our people might not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm very uh, excited to be here. So my name is Tanya, and uh, I'm currently a Python developer advocate at a company called DeepGram. Uh, And so at DeepGram, we do speech-to-text speech uh, speech recognition technology. Um, I would say that my path to technology is a little bit unconventional. I come from like an athletics background. I started playing basketball when I was five years old. I won't tell you how old I am now, but... (laughs) um, (laughs) um, So yeah, so I played basketball in college. I played professionally in Europe and a little bit in the WNBA. And then I got into sales. And then from sales, I got into tech. So yes, it's been very unconventional.
0: That's pretty pretty awesome. I wish we could de- jump in deeper, but yeah,
2: yeah that that is super awesome. And you know, as you're telling us that, I'm I'm listening, and you know, you think about all the stats and statistics and graphs and visualizations and optimizations of sports, right? Like these Python and programming skills are actually pretty relevant. Although maybe you were just deep down in the the sports side and then got into programming afterwards.
1: Yeah, I so yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I think Python is like the perfect language for doing a lot of stuff with like staff, like sports, statistics and things like that. And like the visualization of it. Uh, but yeah, I I started getting into coding when I was a, when I was a kid actually, but then I, I stopped for a long time because you know, who would have thought this thing called coding or, or computers would have taken off and be where it is today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating as that is, let's take a different path, Michael.
2: Yes, a different path and indeed a, a fine transition there, Brian. So this one was sent over, recommended to us by one of our listeners, Spencer. So thank you, Spencer, for sending this in. And we talked about things like FS spec and other ways in which you could sort of abstract away, just like, I'm talking to a file, but oh, hey, that happens to live on Azure Blob Storage or AWS or Google Cloud Storage or something like that. So this one is called Pathy, a path interface for local and cloud bucket storage. So if you've got data that's stored in, at the moment, AWS or Google Cloud Storage, and that AWS one, that's S3. So I suspect that means like Linode and any other S3 compatible storage. You know, there's many of these places that have object storage for their cloud services that are basically uh, wrapping up the AWS story. So this might be much broader than actually just those two clouds. Anyway, the idea is that this is a Python package with type annotations they like to call out, which is great, for working with cloud bucket storage using Pathlib. So Pathlib is great, right? We can uh, create a Pathlib and give it a path, and it has things like make directory or the parent of the parent of this thing, or does it exist, and so on. So if you like working with path, the path class, from Pathlib, how about turning that loose against cloud storage? That's cool, huh? Very, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very awesome.
2: Yeah. so it. it What's nice about it is you basically give it a a URL with a, some type of scheme, you know, traditional schemes are like HTTP, HTTPS, but like GS for Google Cloud Storage or something in here that I'm not seeing for Azure, not Azure, uh, AWS, but you give it just the prefix or you just give it a local file path and it will determine which that is and just start talking to that platform, which I think is actually uh, pretty neat here. So um, yeah, if basically if you want to work with, cloud storage using Pathlib, well, then here you go. Uh, It also supports caching locally, which is neat because that's one way in which you could get all of your cloud files sort of downloaded and replicated locally as well. And then Spencer had a quick comment saying, the really cool function is Fluid. So down here, with Fluid, you can take any type of local Google Cloud Storage or S3 path string, and it'll just give you a path object that lets you interact with it agnostic of the platform. So basically, like I was saying, you say S3 colon or GS colon or just a local path, and it'll just give you back a Pathlib, and you don't care where it is. Is it in the cloud? Is it local? Who cares? Because it's just, you know, it's abstracted that away using Pathlib. And I don't know about you but I had been a bit of a holdout on Pathlib. It was all import, you know, system.io or or, or import io whatever it was, and just use the IO uh, way of working with it. But I've really come to like Path and Pathlib last year or two
0: yeah i really i I love the the interface the just it feels it's easier to to program to me uh just feels easier it feels more obvious um so yeah
1: yeah this is great i've been wanting to do more with cloud Mm technologies so yeah i think this would be a really good place to start
2: yeah and so much of that um possibility is just working with static files on s3 or static files uh and blob storage and other places yeah sure i'd love
0: to not have to care about that so, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, if I could just not do Boto three, that would be fantastic because <laughs> that thing
0: drives me crazy so
2: much. Don't give me another rant, <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Talk about your topic. Save me from ranting about Boto three.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about uh, Robin. So, Robin, for one, has just an awesome logo. <laughs> it's A
2: bird being hugged by a snake. I love that. It. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's um, pretty clever. So, what is Robin? There's a uh, Robin is uh, is is a async web server in runtime uh, written in Rust. Um, and so that's pretty cool. And actually it's kind of been taking off, uh, in popularity and stuff, but the, um, so there's, we're going to link to a bunch of stuff. One of them is the, uh, hello, Robin, uh, blog post, uh, written by the author. And, uh, so Robin is a fast high performance Python web framework yeah. with rust runtime. So what does that mean? It means that it's kind of like flask. It, it, it looks a lot like, uh, in one of the examples, it looks a lot like just a little Flask thing. You can do app gets and app uh, puts and different things. It's decorators. It's very new. There's not there's a lot of work to be done, so there's not a lot of um, uh, ecosystem around it yet. Um, but um, it's pretty it's cool, and I just kind of like this idea of like, well, let's let's make your code, the code you write, look like Python. It is mm-hmm. Python, but the uh, the backend stuff well, maybe you don't care what that's running on and maybe uh, Rust is is fine. So one of the things, it doesn't have an ASCII or, or ASGI or WSGI underlying because that's a Python thing. Um, <laughs> it is async. It's very Flask-like. And the numbers kind of look impressive. So, and I, I know that benchmarks, you have to like read those with a grain of salt, but still, um, request oh. per second uh, getting, so we've got this document showing uh flask with g unicorn at eighteen hundred requests per second, but uh Robin going at sixty four hundred requests per second and this is this is kind wow. of insane, so definitely worth checking out and trying um i think i or maybe not trying, but just watching to see what this does though since it's very new though one of the things I have to say is there's um there needs to be some uh uh it's not really newbie friendly then I guess uh because there's not a lot of docs yet there is a there is a doc uh, site started, but um, but there's a lot of work to do. But still, getting started with it. Uh, if you if you have a really fast thing, it's pretty good. So oh um yeah, so, go ahead. Yeah, well, a couple of notable things that stand out
2: to me. One, it, ha- it supports async and await, and it, <laughs> it supports multi-threading at the Rust mm-hmm. layer. So combine those two things, and you might end up in a really interesting situation, which is probably where it's getting a lot of its its high numbers in that benchmark from. Yeah. So that's great. It looks really simple. You know, it's very Flask or Mm FastAPI-like. So that's cool. One thing that's notably missing that I haven't seen is, like, how do I render an HTML page from it? It shows how to serve static files, which can be an HTML page. But I'm thinking, you know, Jinja templates, uh, Chameleon templates, equivalent to Django templates. Like, Like, that's sort of the missing bit of a dynamic interactive website. Yeah. That also has an API. You could... You could just import Jinja and configure it yourself or import Chameleon and configure it itself. And I've done that in some of my like um, decorator API or uh, wrapper things for adding that onto API calls. But, you know, that's just a layer of a <laughs> thing you've got to learn to use it instead of just saying, here's a template or render this template or, or whatever, right? So um, I would love to see some sort of template support come built mm-hmm.
0: in for it. Yeah, and I'm, I and I think that's something that definitely could be put in place. Um and then there's sure. No, it's actually not very hard at all. It's just it just doesn't I just didn't think that's it all. Um so yeah. target market maybe just a- APIs. Um hmm. uh, yeah
2: it's got a lot of examples of, of uh, JSON type of exchange, right? Yeah. Kanye, what do you think?
1: Um yeah I was gonna ask what does that come with like when you pip install it, uh what other packages does it come with It doesn't does it indicate? I'm
0: just curious. Well it's we could look. Um, I don't think there's much else there. Uh, we've got the. Uh, there's very little here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. If you look at,
2: um, Brian, open up the, just the requirements.txt file there um, and you'll get, uh, you see it's like um, I, I was yeah, the last file there. Okay. Like, like that's the, that's the super small list.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they, right. you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So I think it is definitely a good start. Um, it does seem like a lot of the, not a lot, maybe the, the last few frameworks, web frameworks that have come out in Python here, you know, they do kind of model after Flask. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing quite a bit in FastAPI and in Flask as well, 2.0. Yeah, cool,
2: yeah. yeah. I think Flask is, has become very popular in its own right, but it also its idea of how web apps should look in Python has spread to all the other frameworks that are yeah. kind of new,
0: right? Like it Fast API
2: is a variation on that. Yeah. Yep.
0: And awesome. I, I can't remember where I read it, but there's um there was a, a part of this Robin documentation that talked about just um uh it was like almost started out as a I think a college project or something of like what if I built Flask but async and it or and the target it ends up being sort of like Fast API. So Fast API, yes, you can render websites with it, but the original focus wasn't websites; uh, it was APIs. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think this is it's even in an earlier stage thing than Fast API. So I think it's yeah. definitely worth watching. Uh, one of the, apparent there is a talk from last fall um, that's linked to on I think the main page. And then um, Henry uh, Schreiner in the audience Shriner. says Robin had a lightning talk at PyCon. So
1: check that out too. Oh, nice. Yeah, I will. Yeah, you
2: shouldn't. I didn't hear about that, but nice. So Yeah, absolutely. Brian, scroll down to just where it says why another framework real quick. Just a bit more. Yeah, so one of the interests, this this is pretty interesting to me and it could be a sign of things to come or it could be just really great for Robin. It says one of the things they're trying to get around is the execution. Traditionally, uh, a lot of these frameworks has been with Python. So Python has the gil, which is rough on um, parallelization and so on. It says this is using the Rust runtime and server which attempts to work around the GIL in order to pr- improve performance. So mm. if you could set yourself free from the GIL, I don't know, maybe it hosts like multiple little pythons per, yeah. per thread or something. That That's pretty cool.
0: That's one of the things I'm wondering is if, it, if the runtime's in <clears throat> Rust, how is it launching your code uh, for the callbacks? But I don't know. <laughs> there is a the documentation does have an uh, architecture docs. So if you're actually it's very oh, well yes. documented architecture wise, it's not well documented for how to use it wise, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, well, good find that one's that one's great. All right, Tanya, off off to your item next.
1: All right. Uh this is oh, wait, so this is sports Um, so um does so somebody told I mean, okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm really big into sports, right? Like I'm a huge uh NBA, NFL, baseball, hockey, football fan. Um, So I'm doing a lot now with, um, you know, writing some web application, sports web application. So this is a library that somebody sent me um, called SportsPy. It's a free sports API written for Python. And uh, what it does, it actually pulls stats from... Uh, sportsreference.com dot com. I believe it's sports referencecom reference. dot com, and that site it's a great website. That site is for getting sports uh, statistics for like professional sports, like the NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, and college basketball and football. And nice. it's funny because yeah, it it is really cool. And that site it looks like a sportsreference.com dot com looks kind of looks like a you know, like an HTML site from like the 90s. <laughs> it does look like uh, the it, dream of it, it's the 90s of like,
2: is alive, doesn't it? It does,
1: not it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it really does. So I think it's also great for, you know, if you want to like learn or do some like web scraping, but of course, you know, email the site owners first. I believe that is allowed on that site. But anyway, so back to the API of uh, Sports API, um, you can get like a lot of um, API queries for like all the, you know, mainly like the North American sports that was saying like the NBA, NFL, National Hockey League, Major League Baseball. You can get uh, like the list of teams for that sport, the date and time of games, the total number of wins for a team during the season and much more. You can also get stats from players and from box scores. So, you know, you can build some cool stuff around sports and how teams or players perform during a game or during a season or do even do something even better
2: with it. This is super cool. Yeah. It it's it's got a kind of a, a nice object oriented model so like you know from sportsapi.nfl.teams import teams and then you can create a like a Detroit team or yeah or whatever and then uh or or Purdue and get their schedule it even it has integration with pandas so you get like a data frame out this is neat
1: yeah i haven't used this one yet there's another one that we'll talk about later this uh, this afternoon um but yeah i i want to try this one as well Um Because like I was saying, I'm always on sportsreference.com. Just check out the stats from the games.
2: People ask me a lot of times for APIs so they can build interesting examples or Mm -hmm. play around and stuff. And it's so much of this tied into either college or professional sports. That information is really
1: wrapped up and hard to get, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It has been for a long time. Uh, I think it's becoming a little, I I don't know, a little easier, but it's, for some reason, I remember like five, seven years ago, like I wanted to do stuff with sports, like build applications with sports, but I couldn't find uh, an API that had you know, sports data. Everything was kind yeah. of locked down.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I can start with this five year old CSV file. I guess that's what I'm going to build. It's not so inspiring, but this looks really good.
0: Yeah, cool. Very nice. Cool. Great.
2: All right. Now, before we move on, Brian, let me tell you about our sponsor for this week. Okay. Okay. So this episode is brought to you by Compiler from a podcast from Red Hat. So just like you all out there listening, Brian and I are fans of podcasts. I'm happy to share a new one from Red Hat, uh, Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. So with more and more of us working from home, it's important to keep human connections and not just be stuck in our work from home setup. And Compiler unravels industry topics and trends and things you always want to know through interviews with people who know it best and you know telling the stories of net technology not just the the hows of it so on compiler you can hear a chorus of perspectives from diverse communities behind the code these conversations include answering big questions like what is technical debt what are tech hiring managers actually looking for and do you have to know how to code to get started in open source i actually was a guest on red hat's previous podcast command line heroes for their Python episode, and it was super well done, really polished and compiler follows along in that excellent tradition so I checked out episode 12 of compiler how we should handle failure you know really creating a space for people to grow technically and you know not not get fired just for uh, you know one mistake but you know, how do you create an environment where people are are willing to grow and try things like well, let's try out Robin and try that and if it doesn't work well we gave it a good try you know you've learned something so Learn more about them at pythonbytes.fm slash compiler. The link is in your podcast player show notes. I know you all out there listening, you can just go to your podcast app and type compiler, but please visit pythonbytes.fm slash compiler and just click the link for your podcast player. There's like tons of them here. That way they know it came from us. So thank you, Red Hat and Compiler for supporting our show. All right, Brian, you ready for the next one? I am. Give us a a shot of terminals. A shot mm-hmm. of terminals. I seem to have messed up my tabs, though. So let me just open that back up here. Here we go. So this one comes to me, I believe, from Jay Miller. I'm pretty sure he's the one who told me about it. So thank you, Jay. And the idea is really simple. I want to create a screenshot of something I'm doing for a demo code. Uh, You know, I create a lot of courses and presentations, so it's super helpful for that. Honey's doing DevRel, and she's, I'm sure, doing lots of presentations where there's like, I need a screenshot of this thing, and Brian (laughs) need for books and so on. Yeah, I could totally use it. So this might, yeah, this thing might turn out to be super useful. So what it is, is it's a thing, uh, you brew install it, uh, and then, or there's uh, different ways in which you can install it. It's a little bit like carbon.now.sh, or if people have seen that, and you can capture some kind of output in your terminal exactly like it looks directly to an image. And you can even, you know, specify, I would like to pipe that directly to whatever app you edit screenshots in. So for example, I use Pixelmator Pro. So I might just say, take this, run this command, take the screenshot and then open it in Pixelmator Pro, go and stuff like that. So really, really nice. The way you run it, it's a little bit like time or watch or perf. So you just say term shot and then like Python some file or whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, here's an example of one that I did on, this is a program using Colorama to make interesting colors on the screen, doing async and await examples of like doing a bunch of requests against uh, Talk Python and then pulling back the titles using Beautiful Soup. And I just said TermShot, Python, program, boom, and out it comes with this really nice looking picture Exactly the right size. So however long the scroll back is, like like that's the size of the screenshot. You don't have to like, you know, take a picture, zoom, scroll down some, take another picture, try to fit it back together. All that kind of uh, weirdness. So yeah, really neat. Yeah. And then the final thing is, if for some reason it's more complicated than one line of just Python this, but you're like, I want to run three commands. So maybe what I want to do is I want to show that I'm SSHing into a server then I'm running this command and then I'm open, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the result of that or something like that through like LS. So if, if all else fails, you just type term shot and you give it some shell, like you could say slash bin slash Z shell, ZSH or slash bin slash bash. You do your work. And once you exit the shell, it'll just take a screenshot of like whatever you did, <laughs> while you were in there. Hmm. So that's also pretty good. That
0: takes yeah, less think? thinking. I like that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> exactly. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. You're you're mentioning uh, colorama, Michael. I, I learned about colorama from you. Actually, uh, I took your okay. out of your async uh, uh, asynchronous programming course. Oh, you did. Oh, how yeah, amazing. I did. Yeah. On yeah. <laughs>
2: Thank so, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that example was from that that course for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, looked familiar. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. What I thought was neat about it is it like even with just non-standard print output and stuff, it still captures it you know, reliably, which is, which is nice.
1: So when you run the command, it it takes a screenshot and it saves it to, I don't know, your desktop or, um, so I know like with Carve and you can, you, you know, you can like click a button and it'll save it, you know, or just save it. And then you can just paste it into wherever you want Yeah,
2: exactly. I don't think it goes to your, I think it goes to whatever working directory you happen to be in. Okay. Just wherever you ran the command in that directory, there's an out.png. Okay. There's probably ways to specify it or, or whatever, but. Cool. Uh, by default, it just drops that PNG file there. Yeah, it's Thanks. super handy for presentations. I think. Yeah. All right. Over to you, Brian.
0: Well, um, I want to talk about the gill. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, uh, so Itamar Turner um wrote an article called uh, "When When Python Can't Thread: A Deep Dive into the Gills Impact." And what I really like about this article is just that the the focus of it is to try to build not not the specifics of everything around the gill, but as a user of Python, what's the mental model that you need to, uh, to be able to util- utilize threading and multiprocessing and, and different extensions correctly to try to figure this out To so that you just have a gut feel for how things work so that you can work through it and everything. Um, there's a, a little bit, it's kind of in the middle of the article. There's um, a mental model that he presents and I'm, I'd like to talk about a little bit, some of the other cool aspects of the article, but first the mental model he's going for is a thread must hold the gill to call a C Python API. Um, and uh, the, the, so anything that any Python code that's using um, API, like built in Python calls is, uh, is going to block because it's going to grab the gill. Um, other threads can't run if, if the gill is there, but if you're doing pure Python stuff, Um, your stuff gets interrupted every five milliseconds automatically. I didn't know this, but that's kind of cool. Um, long running things. So if you have a sleep or some other extra process that takes a long time, um, not Python code going through, but, uh, but like a a sleep or something, or, you you know, probably don't have a long sleep, but maybe you're reading a file or something, something that talking to a database, something like that. Yeah it doesn't automatically interrupt every five milliseconds. So the five milliseconds isn't guaranteed. So there's blocking prop possibilities. Um, and then uh, Python extensions written in C um, or Rust or something can explicitly release the GIL to allow, so you can get around this with extensions and stuff. So this is this, that's the mental model, but to really sync it home, um, he's got a whole bunch of these profiling graphs that are great. So here's an example of a little uh, program that starts. There's like two functions. There's a. It's really a main and a go. And essentially, you end up with two threads. Like the thread starts this go thing, and then you run go within the main thread also. So what this is does is just doing like some summing of a whole bunch of numbers. But the example is just to keep busy for a while, and um, and and then look at what happens. And what happens is you have get you get these met, these shifts of like one of them is spinning around, but the other one's just, uh, you know, this toggling back and forth that happens. It's kind of cool. There's uh, the, the all the different models that can happen. And like, here's one where you're, um, let's see, what are we doing here? Uh, it's sleeping for a while, so it's completely blocked. So you've got one thread that's just completely blocked for a long time. And and the visuals of the profile are great to to visualize what's going on. So anyway, uh, at the end of the article, he talks about how to get around it and when, when and where and how to use different models like async and extensions and things like that. So uh, anybody that's really caring about this sort of stuff, I think this is a great article.
2: The visualizations are quite neat. Uh, You know, instead of just saying you're spending this much time in a particular Mm -hmm. function, it says, and you're waiting, or you're doing CPU work, right? And you can actually see those side by side and see like yeah. the CPUs here, because normal profilers will just tell you, well, you're
1: spending time, you know, here. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's really helpful. The visual, I, I don't know. I, I learned visually. I'm a like, very, you know, large visual learner. Um, yeah, like the gills, something that's always kind of like I don't know. It's just it was really confusing to me, you know, when I was first starting out and. Um, getting into like more intermediate stuff. But I took this, uh, it was like a Python deep dive course where the instructor really kind of like talked about things behind the language, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it really kind of helped me grasp and wrap my head around it more. But yeah, this is great. I love this. Yeah.
2: Nice work, Tamar. This is uh, definitely a good one. I like the the pictures as well. Mm-hmm. All right. How you want to take us out? And no, I apologize. I believe I switched the order of your two That's
1: topics. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. No worries. <laughs> no, if, yeah, okay, okay, so I didn't so throw you is... off there. That's okay. So this is the NBA. Yeah, okay. So this one is the NBA API. So this one is just strictly for the NBA National Basketball Association. This is really close uh, to home
2: for you, right? This is like, yeah, it's very
1: close to home. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it brings back memories. So uh, and right now with, you know, NBA playoffs happening, I think this is pretty exciting. Uh, so this package is maintained by a gentleman named Swar Patel. He um, does a very great job of maintaining it. Uh, it's very up to date. Um, this API pulls data from the um, NBA.com, right? That's the official website of the National Basketball Association. Uh, with this uh package, you get like more accessible endpoints. Uh, the documentation is really, really good. I think it's probably you know, it's a really well documented API. Um, let me see what else here. Um, uh, the the NBA.com API isn't as well documented because. You know, a lot of things change, you know, things change frequently, right? Like players are traded, players get injured, players retire. You have to take into account all the stats as well, like points per game, rebounds per game, and that type of thing. Um, so this package, the NBA API package, has tons of features. Um, like you can get information on players, teams, like you know, more static data as well as like data that changes as well, like you know, their stats. Um, I think, uh their stats per game, per season, like their player game law. There's tons and tons of endpoints. So I would, if you want to work with this API, I recommend looking up the API endpoints. Uh, there's probably like over 40 of them. Wow. Uh, or maybe around 40, actually. Um, so yeah, it's just really cool. I'm actually working with this one right now, and I'm doing uh, a, uh, a, a sports uh, NBA ranking website right now. I'm using this uh, package. How
2: oh, fun. Uh, one of the things that's cool is it has a lot of search functionalities and not Mm -hmm. just direct by you know find me the team from this city or this name but like um find teams by state or or something yeah
1: yeah yeah it's definitely very clever um and it um i I would say between like the first one we looked at is sportsreference.com i don't know where they're pulling i think i'm not sure where they're pulling their data sports reference maybe from each individual site of the you know the sports associations i'm guessing
0: right Mm. okay um but well, I mean, like, for example, if the data from NBA's got to be more centralized than like all of the college ball stuff, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. It's cool. even has support yeah, like for live too.
0: data here, like
2: NBA.live endpoints for scoreboard and all kinds of stuff. That looks that looks pretty neat. Wow. This is some, there's a lot of data here. Yeah. You can check out the, yeah, there's tons of data, right? Yeah. The notebooks seem to have, yeah. Some cool um, yeah. I have, I have the notebooks
1: and the Duber notebooks they have. Yeah. Yeah, there's a yeah, well, lot of data. It's uh, very good. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. There's a lot that you can do, a lot of fun stuff.
2: Cool. I know so many people want to build examples with sports and I think having some live data would be really really neat. So, you know, mm-hmm. like during like you saying like right now during the playoffs or something, you could you could do some fun things. Indeed.
0: Yep. All right. Well, Brian, is that our six items? It is. So, do you have any anything extra to share with us? I have uh I think
2: just a real quick, quick one here for us from Pablo. We have python three eleven beta one is here, mm. so hurrah uh this marks feature freeze, which means there'll be no new features or apis, only bug fixes, so please they say if you maintain a Python package, what? help us test that everything works as expected. but this is pretty neat nice, yeah, that's it for me
0: um I, on that i'm going. to grab this just a second um we'll link to this as well simon willison has a uh, a little blurb on like if you're using github actions to test your packages um uh simon has a code snippet for exactly how to 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 do that essentially the the python thing you want is python three eleven dash dev and make sure it's in quotes (laughs) um and just add that to your python versions matrix so all right fantastic cool. So, how about you, uh, Tanya? Do you have any extras? Uh,
1: that's pretty much it. Well, I do see some people in the chat that I've met at PyCon uh, last week. Mario, hey, Mario. I'm not sure if you're still here, but hello. <laughs> cool. Fantastic. Yeah, you so, just yeah. came back from nice.
2: PyCon, and Brian and I were not there. You want to give us a quick um, just a, a quick report from being on scene?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it was my first PyCon. Uh, and. Actually, one of my first tech conferences. Actually, um, it was great. Um, I spent most of the time working our booth for Deepgram because we were helping to sponsor the event. Uh, I did catch a few talks um, and met so many amazing people, and also like just connected with people that I have been communicating with over the last several years, uh, you know, via internet and <laughs> you know, chat and stuff like that. So it was just really fun. It was a good time. I love PyCon. It's I consider yeah.
2: it my geek holiday. <laughs> I, just, yeah. <laughs> I, I love to go there and, you, and meet so many of the people everyone's so accessible and I spend most of my time just walking around looking to say hi mm-hmm. to folks
0: and whatnot yeah, yeah. so I have yeah. an idea Michael maybe next year we should go
2: yeah yeah maybe next year we should go <laughs> yeah definitely uh, I'm looking forward to getting back there um well do you have are anything are you looking forward to a for joke us? yeah I do well I for have sure. something for you I'll let you know be the judge if it's funny <laughs> All right. So here's here's what I got. Brian, just maybe give us a quick description of what, what this picture is about here.
0: Uh, I don't know. There's a guy like, uh, looks like really stressed out holding I, his I hand in front of his crying. face. I think he's uh, crying. Crying, yeah.
2: Like, he's pretty sad. I mean, red eyes almost, just crying. Since. Yeah. And so, you know, we all come to these websites and it's, you know, prove you're human and all these recapture things. And sometimes you're lucky and you're to slide the puzzle over until like, the dog fits in its house or so. rather than <laughs> so find all, you know, highlight all the the stoplights or anyways. So the joke is when a, with a very sad uh, guy here asking, it says when a computer asks, are you a robot? Maybe it's just wanting to find its family. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Maybe it does. Maybe we're not. That's we should hilarious. just be helping more. And, you know, every time <sighs> well, we prove a recapture, it's just like, no, that's not my family. It's so funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the funniest uh, f- uh, find this uh, memes that I saw recently was just like a picture of space. And it said, uh, click all the squares um, uh, that have a Klingon bird of prey inside. Because uh, <laughs> no, they it. cloak, they're, they're invisible. That's right, guys. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, well, th- very good. Very good. Thanks again for having a great podcast. Thanks, Tanya, for sh- showing up and sh- doing this with us. So,
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I- it was fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. Great to have you on here, Tanya. Yeah, thank, thank you.